0: Well, it is uh, that time of year again when uh, we start receiving the infamous family Christmas pictures from our dearest friends. You know the ones. Uh, The family is on the beach. They all have khaki pants on, white shirts, bare feet. And you look at the family and go, these people are perfect in every way no marital issues, the kids are all smiling, there's absolute peace, look at the ocean behind them, or or, or we get the one where the family's in front of the Magic Kingdom, and we go, doggone it, I wish I could have taken my family to Disney World this past year. I mean, look at them, you know, they got all that, you know, and we, and so, you know, we, we just, pictures like that tend to make us sometimes look at people's families and we go, wow! I mean, look at them. They, they've just—they've got the perfect family. I mean, they must be really doing well financially, or or they must have a perfect marriage. I mean, when you when you look at their 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 picture and that couple is standing next to each other, and oh my goodness! I mean, it just looks like everything is great in their world, or or they they raise perfect children. I mean, look at how. You can just feel the peace coming off the card as you see the the kids all in harmony, smiling, you know, and you know that kind of stuff, and 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 or you just think, you know, I wish my family could be like this family. I wish, you know, we could be the fir- the perfect family like so and so, or have the perfect environment like so and so. Well, um, with permission, I would like to um, share with you some of the Bloy family Christmas pictures that we have taken over the last uh, several years some of you will, will recognize these because you have them um on your you've had them on your refrigerator praying for us or, or on your dartboard um but anyways we want to th- this is uh, back before we moved here taylor was two years old and and uh i had a lot of hair and um so that was one of our first pictures and then um when we moved here zachary was born shortly thereafter and uh one of the things about this picture you need to remember is that we had a complete meltdown blowout on the way to Olin Mills before um, this picture was made. There was crying, there was there was uh, gnashing of teeth, wailing, and we were in Olin Mills ironing shirts on the floor trying to get every, all the wrinkles out. It was, it was brutal. Uh, next, you kind of roll through those like that one. It's all of where we were, each state where we were born. Next one. Um, we brought Tipper, our dog, the hound from hell into this picture. Um, and then the next one, um, we judge, we can kind of look at our Christmas pictures and know what year it is, not by like how our boys change, but we basically look at Amy's, the way Amy, her hairstyle changes. Um, and so that's a, a picture we made. Then, then the next one, um, we liked that one. That was a lot of fun. We took that one. And then um, there was no problems at all with this picture. We were in Hawaii. We had a, some friends that took us to Hawaii. We were very happy on that day. I'll just be honest with you, so that was good memories next that train almost ran us (laughs) no Tandy Grandstaff took that picture and uh, that was a lot of fun downtown Dallas next and then uh, April Chandler put a couch on a street in Ackworth and we sat on it and she took great pictures of us last year's picture and then this is not our Christmas picture from this year but it's one of the pictures that we could have chosen Um, but I want to tell you a little bit about this picture we just took this a few weeks ago Uh, keep it up there guys Um, we had one of the worst family fights we've ever had in our lives, about an hour before this picture was taken. Um, And uh, remember, I'm talking about... I got permission to share these stories. Um, And uh, I remember we're driving uh, down to Warner Robins. My sister-in-law, Carrie, took this picture, did a great job. We're standing in front of this old, nasty warehouse. And... um, We had just a lot of bad things happening in our car on the way down Highway 75, and I'm just going, I'm calling her right now. We're canceling this picture. We're not going to be one of those phony families that stand in front of a picture, and everybody smiles and pretends like everything's good, you know, like... And and, and there we are. Um, Can I get real with you for just a moment? Um, Some of our biggest fights as a family have come on the days where many of these pics were made that you just saw. I mean, it's like Satan enters into our world on family picture day. It's the craziest thing. And, and so many of you have come up to us over the years and you've said, man, your family is so perfect and you guys take the perfect family picture and y'all look so like everything's great, da-da-da-da. And I want to tell you something. You may, I know, I know some of you feel that way, but that's all, not always quite the case. We've had some tough moments on those days where we took family pictures Now, I want to show you another family Christmas picture that's probably more familiar to all of you. And it's this picture right here. You recognize this couple right away. Um, There's Mary and Joseph and and baby Jesus. Isn't it amazing? In a a horse stable. Mary's, her makeup just is perfect. Joseph is cleanly shaven. I mean, he's got like Norelco kind of lines right there, you know. I mean, just baby jesus is so serene and beautiful I mean, it's just amazing and we look at family pictures like that and others that we get and it just fills our hearts with the meaning of christmas and it it represents the meaning behind all of to us the decorations and the parties and the lights and 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 just the the gifts and when we see joseph and mary and and baby jesus they just look like the perfect family to us they look so peaceful they look just wonderful and every picture that you see i mean. It's just a, it's a magical story. However, if you were to go behind the picture, what you realize is that not everything was exactly the way it seems. Not everything was, was a, a perfect picture at all. I mean, there was hardship, there was fear, there was rejection, there was confusion, there was misunderstanding. There was um, family conflict. There was was a tremendous struggle going on during this time in the lives of Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus. I mean, this picture that we get in the mail of this couple and this baby at Christmas time, trust me, was far from perfect. And if we were all very honest this morning... As much as we want to manufacture the perfect Christmas picture and the perfect Christmas, underneath the surface, it doesn't always turn out that way. It doesn't turn out the way we expect it, does it? And you know what? We look at all of our family issues and the things that we deal with, and it just gets magnified at Christmas, doesn't it? Because all of a sudden the cousin that you really don't like comes to town or the brother you haven't talked to for years has to be at your house or the little spat that you had with mom or dad gets amplified because now all of a sudden you've got to pretend like everything's fine. And behind the decorations and behind the parties and the presents... Oftentimes in our families, what you don't see in those family Christmas pictures are the financial issues, you don't see the mounds and mounds of debt, you don't see the relational hardships that are being being hidden oftentimes, behind the plastic smiles, there's loads of stress oftentimes, there's health issues that, that turn our experience of the perfect family Christmas picture into the imperfect Christmas. And as we're going to see this morning, God specializes in using imperfect situations and imperfect people to bring himself glory and to advance his purposes here on this earth and as we're going to see in just a moment god chose over 2,000 years ago to reach down from heaven and take a very imperfect young couple who had a very challenging imperfect situation and he dropped very gently dropped into the middle of their lives a perfect little gift so that the whole world could change around them and that they could change themselves and that is the real picture of christmas now i want to take a a moment if we could and look at some very imperfect christmas pictures and the very first one i want to show you is joseph joseph here is holding baby jesus i mean someone gave him a lily and said here joseph take the lily and smile with jesus that's weird and but i want to look for a moment at joseph's very imperfect dilemma because in matthew chapter one and if you have a bible i want you to grab it open it and put it on your lap In verse 18, we get into Joseph's story. Joseph's story is told in the book of Matthew. Mary's story is laid out for us in the book of Luke. And in Matthew chapter 118, it says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant... Through the Holy Spirit. Now, here's Joseph and Mary. They are espoused to each other. They were pledged to be married. It was more than an engagement. During an espousal period, parents would arrange an an actual contract of marriage where the groom's father would pay the bride's father a dowry or a price, and he would provide um, almost insurance should a groom become dissatisfied and want to divorce her. There was kind of an allowance made back then during that time. But although this, uh, this espousal uh, was a, a legal contract. The couple still had to wait a year before the wedding ceremony. They had to wait a year before they could actually live together and, and be married and, and, and have sexual relations with each other. So this espousal period was this time of testing. It was a time for the couple to prove their fidelity, to prove their devotion. So you can imagine the problems that existed when it appeared that Mary had violated this trust and all of a sudden she becomes pregnant. I mean, it threw Joseph into a great dilemma. Imagine the conversation that took place between Joseph and Mary when Mary was trying to explain to Joseph that she was now pregnant and that the Holy Spirit was the father. That an angel had come to her and told her that she was going to bear the Messiah. And Joseph's like, what? I mean, you know that that had to be a tough pill for him to swallow. I mean, Joseph was the direct descendant of King David, Israel's greatest king. His family would have been known all over town. I mean, Nazareth was a a very small town. And I'm sure the gossip mill was just buzzing with the story of Joseph's young fiancé getting pregnant. And the law according to Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 23 and 24, basically gave him the right to call for Mary to be publicly humiliated and to be taken out to the the city gates and to be stoned as an adulteress. So what does Joseph do? Well, look at verse 19. Because Joseph, her her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now in Joseph's mind, he's dealing with a possible issue of adultery. There is no way that um, the, the picture he had in mind when he... There was no way that this, that this was the picture he had in mind when he pledged himself to be married to Mary. And I'm sure that, that when he was maybe even a young boy or as he was getting into this whole situation, he dreamed of, of, of having a home with Mary, of, of them having children together, of, of them growing old together. And all of, all of a sudden, this picture becomes very imperfect. And some of you can relate to that you thought about the day when you would get married. And you walked down an aisle in a church or or outside somewhere, and you stood in front of the building. It was like a beautiful, perfect ceremony. And you walked away from there, and you got in a car, and you drove off, and you thought about having kids together, or you thought about building a life together, and you thought about growing old together. And all of a sudden, somewhere along the line, that picture became very imperfect. And some of you over the last several years dealt with, have dealt with a divorce you've dealt with an adulterous situation you've dealt with issues with your children you've dealt with the issue of maybe not even being, having to have children you've dealt with child issues I mean, there, it's just your whole everything that you dreamed of the perfect situation now is very imperfect now what does Joseph do? well, even though he had the law on his side and he could have had Mary stoned and killed I mean, his feelings for her ran very deeply And he obviously doubted her story. And so he decides that rather than expose her to public shame and disgrace, he would end the the commitment by privately divorcing her. Even though it appeared that she was unfaithful to him, Joseph still had a ton of compassion for Mary. Look what it says in verse 20. Because you need to realize, at verse 20, the story begins to take a twist. God enters into the story. And it says, verse 20, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, Joseph, again, he had this perfect picture in his mind of of what the future was going to look like, but God changed his plans. And what seems to be a very imperfect dilemma now is turning into this amazing story of love and grace. Now, Let's switch gears and look at Mary for just a moment and turn your Bibles to the book of Luke. In the book of Luke, in chapter 1, we see a picture of Mary. And we can see this picture up here on the screen of Mary. She's holding baby Jesus. Some of you may have seen this picture before. Mary just looks so peaceful and, and, and just full of grace. She's like the perfect picture of a young mother. And, and churches all over the world have revered this woman. And, and yet, here what we see in verse 26. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... God sent the angel Gabriel to to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, Mary's response was very typical of how any teenage girl would have responded to a visit from an angel. She was obviously scared to death. She was also very, very troubled. Now, the Greek word here for troubled meant that she was baffled. What in the world does an angel want with me? I'm just a teenage girl. What, what's going on here? And in verse 30, it says, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary says, How in the world could this be? Because I'm still a virgin. Still a virgin. Mary, I mean, Mary grew up in a good Jewish home. I'm sure she was taught Jewish law. I'm sure that there was a lot of panic in her voice when she's talking to this angel because here she is dealing with an unplanned pregnancy. Now, this wasn't like today when a young girl would find out maybe she's pregnant and there's an alternative school to go to. She can go get counseling from the school. She can go to a place like the Paulding Pregnancy Center and get counseling and find out about adoption opportunities or, you know, how to raise a child by your... I mean, this was about a young girl facing public shame. This was about a family being, being absolutely paraded out in front of the whole community. As a disgrace. And Mary knew that the penalty for something like this was going to be death. I mean, so how in the world, in her mind, is she going to work through this? How, How was she going to prove to Joseph that she was still a virgin? I mean, who would ever believe a crazy story like this? And yet in verse 35, it says, The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, and He will be called the Son of God. Now, I'm sure that Mary, like probably most young girls or women in this church i mean when you were younger you had in mind one day what it would be like to be a mom to be married to have a baby and 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 like most young girls she probably dreamed of the day when when she would grow old and watch her children grow old and yet here we are her picture has completely changed and then you find this very imperfect road to bethlehem and we find out in luke chapter 2 that caesar augustus He issues a decree to the entire Roman world that everyone should return back to their home so that a census could be taken. He's counting people. Why? Because he wants to tax the entire world. And we find out in verse 4, it says, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth into Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. The King James tells us that she was great with child. So this was close to her being, to, to, to delivering Jesus. And in our minds, oftentimes, we see this, pic, this perfect picture, the one you see on the screen here, of this young couple, Joseph. I don't know why he looks a little ticked off in that picture, but he does. And Mary seems a little irritated with him. Didn't notice that in the first service. I they must have just had a spat. But anyways, they're walking you know, this rough, rugged road. And, we've, and in our minds we see this perfect picture of sometimes we see, you know, stars at night and there's this young couple and he's leading her. But what you need to understand was that the road that they traveled was not an easy one in many ways. Bethlehem is 92 miles from Nazareth. The terrain in Jerusalem, even today, and certainly back then in Israel, was very rough and very rocky. If they traveled 17 to 24 miles a day, they would have traveled for four or five days. They may have traveled longer. The last leg of their journey, which would, involve, which would have involved a descent out of Jericho's desert to Bethlehem, would have been involved an elevation increase of 3,500 feet. I mean, they're having to go uphill. And have you ever wondered, when you, maybe you've seen this picture, where they slept at night? Have you ever wondered what the, what the weather might have been like, the elements that they faced? I mean, what Joseph may have had to fend off, or if they were traveling with other people? I mean... This was, a, this was a grueling journey for this young couple. Have you ever wondered if they really had a donkey? I mean, the Bible doesn't say that. We just think because we see the picture that they had one. You hope Joseph had a donkey or something for Mary to ride on. I mean, we're talking a long, long journey for a very pregnant young girl. However, we do know that this journey was grueling in many, many ways. It's probably not the hallmark picture that we have in mind. I remember when um, Amy surprised me back in 1994 with the news that we were going to have our very first child. It was two days before Father's Day, and it was two days before the two of us were to lead an 18-day trip with 42 students and adult workers to Moscow, Russia, and Kiev, Ukraine. And so um, being the young, smart couple that we were at the time, we decided that Amy would go on this journey. Two days, so we get into this. We we, we fly from from where we were in, in, in outside of Richmond to JFK Airport, and we get on this Russian plane called Aeroflot. Just the name by itself should tell you about our flight. And we flew from Russia. We flew from New York, and we landed in Moscow. And it was super hot during that time of the year. It was just shortly thereafter that they had shortly right after that they had really taken the walls of communism down. And I mean people with Russian guards with AK-47s and I mean, we're we're walking through this Russian airport and I mean, all of a sudden all the smells have changed the environment has changed and my newly pregnant wife is sick as she can be for 18 straight days and of course, the 24-hour bus ride from Moscow to Kiev that involved one-lane roads and stopping at little stop points so that security guards could take your passports and play cards with them I mean, that didn't help at all and then all of the just the different smells and, and, and the different things that were going on in Kiev, which, which was, at the time was very much a third world country, just added to this, this overwhelming sickness. And where we stayed in Kiev was less than 90 miles away from Chernobyl, a nuclear fallout disaster area. And so here we are, all of these different smells, all these different kinds of foods, and Amy, I mean... Thank goodness for insure, those little bottles of drink. I mean, I mean, otherwise she would have just starved. And she could hardly hold food in her the whole time. And the whole time, I'm feeling like, you know, father of the year. You know, husband, I'm just trying. I mean, I'm on this missions trip 18 days with all these kids, and I'm just trying to help my, my young wife and my young soon-to-be mom just to make it through this grueling, grueling experience. And I'm sure that Joseph had very much those same feelings. As he was out there on that rugged road going from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And he's leading this young bride, whether it was by hand or by donkey or whatever that looked like. And this is certainly, you know, as we think about it, we see that picture. But listen, it's certainly not the perfect picture that he had in mind of the life and how life would start out with, with, with he and Mary. And then you go into the young couple's very imperfect childbirth, and you get into verse 7, and it says, She gave birth to her firstborn a son, and she wrapped him in cloth and pl- placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And when we see this picture, what do we, what do we see? We see this picture of, of Joseph, and we see Mary, and we see baby Jesus. Very similar. Throw that picture up there that we showed earlier, if you guys would. And we, we think about this young couple. Now, I want you to understand that when Joseph and Mary came to town... The city was packed with visitors. Everybody was coming back home. And they were taking a census. Everybody had to go back to their hometown to be counted. Now we don't know exactly how long Mary and Joseph stayed in Bethlehem before she gave birth. But we know that she had her baby and the Bible says she placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available at the Bethlehem Inn. And we know that somehow or another there were conversations that were going on. And you would think that Mary and Joseph... Could have stayed with a relative, but either all of their houses were full of other relatives, or as maybe some scholars suggest, and I don't want to ruin your Christmas picture, but she may have been, he may have been, they together may have been rejected by one of Joseph's relatives, because here they are showing up in town, and she's pregnant, and they're not officially married. And regardless of what happened, most scholars believe that this young couple welcomed their child into the world in an animal cave. And you think, certainly not the healthiest environment for a child to be born by any means. I remember, I remember when Zachary was born, we had had moved here to this area to start Westridge. We were about a year in, and Zach came into the world, and I got in my 1988 Pontiac Grand Prix with Amy sitting next to me, and we drove to Cobb General Hospital, one of the top 10 hospitals in the country for delivering babies. And I walked into that hospital room where that was all taking place in. I mean, there was oak wood, most sanitary environment you can imagine, professional nurses, professional doctors. I mean, it was, like, it was like a five-star hotel inside this hospital. I was blown away. It was absolutely amazing. And one of the things that I remember about both of the births of my children was that Amy made it very, 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 very clear to me that she was going to have an epidural and that I was in charge of making sure that that happened. And I remember, and, and I don't think it really played out this way, but for whatever reason, my memory, you know, was very vivid at the moment. And, and, but I remember the first birth in Lynchburg. I mean, it was like I, she grabbed me and said, I will have an epidural. Now, honey, I know you didn't do that. But I tell you, the pressure was on me to make sure that that was going to happen. And she got them both times. But this was a completely different story. Here you've got this young couple, not married, far from home, potentially rejected by their family, having a baby in out in what was probably a very dirty shelter for animals. Not your perfect picture situation by any means. And so many of us, we look at the picture of our lives and we step back and we, we think, we go into marriage with this idealistic dream of what marriage will be like and then one day all of a sudden our perfect picture becomes very imperfect or we have children and and we dream of what they will become or what they will do with their life or how wonderful our home will be once we bring them into it and all of a sudden our picture changes from this dream of perfect to very imperfect overnight. And we enter into maybe a new career and we we think, this is everything that I dreamed it would be. This is is my dream job right here. I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing this and all of a sudden it becomes a nightmare. What do you do when you realize that your picture is very imperfect. What do you do when all of a sudden you wake up and the picture that you painted in your mind is no longer the picture you dreamed of? Here's what you do. First of all, you've got to remember that God is not surprised by your imperfect situation. Trials and suffering are part of life. I mean, we live in this very messed up, sinful, imperfect world that impacts the, the picture of our, our, our lives every day. Some of, of you have, have been through a divorce. Or you have been through the, the pain of, of dealing with an adulterous situation. Or, or you have dealt with a wayward child. Maybe the economy has, has dealt a blow to you. You're suffering through that. You've lost a job. You've lost your retirement. You're losing your house. Maybe you're, you're dealing right now with the, the pain of losing someone recently. And, and, and your world is, has become extremely imperfect. And, and as I mentioned earlier, Christmas sometimes often magnifies all of that. And you're looking at all this and you don't know how you're going to make it through the holidays. Maybe you're angry at God right now. Can I tell you that God is not surprised by what you're going through? He's not surprised by your suffering or or the fact that your life might be a mess right now. And And He certainly can handle all of your emotions. But know this, God has not left you. He's not punishing you like many of you think He is. He's not surprised by any of of, of what you're going through. He cares about you, he loves you, and he's walking through the situation with you. But because we live in a sinful, messed up, imperfect world, guess what? We are going to deal constantly with imperfect situations. We are going to face trials. We are going to deal with suffering. It is part of life. And the Bible promises it to us. The second thing is we need to continue to walk in obedience to God's word. As I said, there, there are a lot of hurting people in this world and in this church right now. And I see people doing one of two things right now. I see them either walking away from God and doing stupid things and dealing with bad consequences as a result of their own choices. Or I see them drawing closer to God than they've ever been before. And I see them living in an obedience to His Word. And I see them reaping the benefits of a life of obedience. Things like protection and provision and wisdom and discernment and guidance. How did Joseph and Mary deal with their imperfect situations? Well, you dig into these passages a little further and in, in Matthew chapter 1, Joseph it says in verse 24 when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and he took Mary home as his wife. Luke chapter 1 verse 38, we see Mary's picture. And she says, "I am the Lord's servant," Mary answered, "May your word to me be fulfilled." They were obedient to what God had told them to do. One of my favorite places in scripture is where Job in the Old Testament is being ridiculed by his friends. Throughout the book of Job, we see these three guys just hammering on him. I mean, here's a guy that's lost everything. He's lost his children, he's lost his servants, he's lost his health, he's lost all of his worldly goods. I mean, his he's lost the respect of his wife. And his friends are accusing him of being sinful and bringing God's wrath upon himself. I mean, his wife tells him in Job chapter 2, Job, why don't you just, if you have any integrity left, why don't you just curse God and die? And I love what Job says in verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 15. He says, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Though he slay me, yet I will still hope in him. Even though my life is falling apart... I will keep my eyes on God. I will not lose hope in Him. I am not leaving God. I am not walking away. I remember years ago hearing Charles Stanley say something that has impacted my life for many, many years. I keep this saying on my, on my desk. It says that God takes complete responsibility for the life that is totally yielded to Him. God takes complete responsibility for the life that is totally yielded to Him. And you look at Job, you look at Joseph, you look at Mary, and you realize they all knew this. It didn't matter what they were going through, God is in charge. And God was going to take responsibility for whatever they were dealing with. And the same is true for you. And then the third thing is we've got to seek God through prayer. Listen, we know there's tremendous power in prayer. We know there's tremendous power in being covered uh, by prayer. Unfortunately, we try... Oftentimes, everything else, most of the time, in our own power to deal with our situations rather than go to God in prayer. And we get to this point, we go, you know what, I think I need to pray about this. Rather than saying, God, from the the very beginning, I need you in this. I tell you, I've been overwhelmed by the prayer requests that have come in from this 30 30 prayer challenge. Um, I mean, there's a lot of marital issues being dealt with. 19 full pages of prayer requests. And every morning as I have been reading through these things and praying over these things, I mean financial issues, people losing their homes, health issues. So many folks have lost someone in their life. I mean, there, there there are some deep, deep, deep issues on some of those prayer requests. And those people have said to us, pray for me, please. We need prayer covering. We are seeking God for miracles. We are seeking God for answers. And if you have an issue right now, put it on there. Let people pray for you. Let them engage with you. Let them, let them cover you in prayer right now. And then the fourth thing is we've got to look for the blessings in our situation and we've got to be thankful. You know, I think one of the biggest problems that we have in our society right now is that we just live in an age of entitlement. Uh, we think that we're entitled to everything. I'm entitled to a high-paying job. I'm entitled to a big, beautiful house. I'm entitled to a problem-free marriage. I'm entitled, I'm entitled to the American dream. I live in America. I'm entitled like everyone else to the American dream. The problem is that mentality has created a spirit of ungratefulness. And we have thousands and thousands of people who are angry right now and who are fed up because they don't have what they feel like they're entitled to. And you think, how in the world could you truly be thankful and grateful for what God has given you when you are always angry about what you don't have? One of my friends in ministry, a guy named Stephen Furtick, put this out on Twitter on Thanksgiving and it It really impacted me. He said, Gratitude begins when our sense of entitlement ends. Gratitude begins when our sense of entitlement ends. And yet, in the midst of of a very difficult moment, Mary decided to look for the blessing in her situation. I mean, listen to what she said in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. It says, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, Savior. Wait a minute, Mary, you're pregnant. You are a young girl and you are pregnant right now. You're not even married. You could face public shame. You could face ridicule. Even worse, Mary, you could die. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Listen, Mary could have said, listen, God, this, wasn't, this isn't the picture that I had planned on. This is not what I'm entitled to. This isn't my plan. But she didn't do that. Instead, she was able to look at her situation. She was able to, to find the blessings in it. And it caused her to step back and to praise God and to rejoice in Him. I read somewhere a few weeks ago from a lady by the name of Regina Britt who writes for a paper in Cleveland. She says, if we all threw our problems in a pile and saw everyone else's problems in that pile, we would grab ours back. And how true is that? If you were to go to Burkina Faso, Africa or anywhere or many places around the world and you took your problems and threw it in a pile with theirs, you would grab your problem back. We've got to look for the blessings in our situation and we've got to learn to be grateful and thankful for what we do have. And then finally, in the midst of our imperfect situations, God offers grace. When you look at the word grace, you see two kinds of grace in the Bible. You see God's strengthening Grace. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 30. It says, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Now, the word word favor is the Greek word cherish. It means grace. It's the same Greek word for grace. God was giving Mary grace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul, the apostle Paul, tells us about this issue he was dealing with. He talks about this thorn in the flesh. He called it a messenger from Satan. And he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. When you see the word grace in the Bible and it is spoken or addressed to believers, it is always referring to strength. God's strength that he wants to give us. And regardless of what your picture may look like right now, God promises strength and grace to get you through it. And God told Paul, he said, Listen, my grace is enough. My grace is enough and it's always available to you. Matter of fact, Paul, I'm going to take your weakness and I'm going to use it as a platform to show the awesomeness of my power. Paul, it is through your weakness that I'm going to, be, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to work through you. Did it ever occur to you that God may want to use your pain God may want to use your suffering, God may want to use your weakness, God may want to use your situation, your imperfect situation, as a platform to display His His power and glory to the rest of the world. He may be allowing you to go through something right now so that you will be taught how to depend on Him, how how, how to trust in Him, because He's going to use you in a mighty way to help other people. Don't lose sight of that. Grab hold of the strength that He's promising right now. The other grace that we see in the Bible is offered to those that don't know Christ as their Savior yet. And it's called His saving grace. And it's at those moments where God, who is constantly offering this grace to an unsaved world, offers the perfect into our imperfect situations. And He looks down from heaven and He sees the imperfectness of our lives and the the decisions that we made and how our sin has messed up the world. And He offers us the perfect. Perfect the perfect sacrifice that was brought to us from His perfect Son. And you may be here this morning, and you maybe for the first time you you realize how imperfect your life is, how messed up sin has caused your life to be. And you realize that the only way that you're going to walk through your imperfection, walk through the imperfect situation that you're in, is to receive Jesus' perfect sacrifice as a perfect sacrifice for your sins. I want all of us to just for a moment bow our heads. If you're here this morning and you are struggling with life and you know Christ is your Savior, I want you to know that His grace is enough to help you and that it's available to you today. And if you just constantly just rely on Him and call out to Him and trust Him, what He provided for you on the cross years and years ago is still available to you today. The strength and power to walk through life, to deal with whatever it is that you're dealing with. And at the end of this service, we're going to have some Stevens ministers that will be available to you if you need to talk to somebody. They're here for you, just to help you through some of the issues that you might be dealing with. Maybe you're here today and and you're looking at your life and you're going, I am, maybe for the first time, looking at my life and realizing that I have no hope I have no promise of really getting through this life successfully apart from Jesus Christ and I certainly have no idea how I'm going to get from this life into the next life which is called heaven and maybe for the first time you realize that you know what without Christ the alternative is a very real place called hell. And I want you to know that the whole Christmas story is about God looking at our perfection, our imperfection, the imperfection that sin has caused and realizing that the only way that that could be dealt with was bringing perfection into your situation. And he knew, and you need to know, that there's nothing you can do on your own to cause that to happen. God gently dropped in the form of a baby his perfect son into our imperfect world so that we could have a perfect sacrifice for the imperfections of our sin and by calling on him this morning and by asking for forgiveness and by putting your faith and trust in that Jesus in Jesus alone you can have forgiveness for those sins you can have Jesus walk through life with you You can have power to get through because of the cross. You can have power to get through tomorrow and the next week and whatever it is that you're dealing with. And then the bonus is heaven. And if that's you this morning, just say something like this. Lord Jesus, right now, I ask you to invade my life, invade my situation, my circumstances. I am so imperfect and I need your perfect sacrifice to save me, to rescue me from my sins. Would you do that right now, God? Because I can't do it by myself. What Jesus did it for me on the cross. A perfect sacrifice. I receive that into my life right now. If you made that decision. Take your worship guide. There's a place on there to fill out um, the card. It says, This morning I prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. And either take it to the atrium here at the Dallas campus. Or, if you would take it out to the, uh, the, the lobby at the West Campus and let someone there know that you made that decision for Jesus Christ Father for the rest of us as we walk through this day may we realize that you have given us everything that we need, that you're not surprised by our, our stories, our situations, our imperfections matter of fact you're willing and looking to use it as a platform to show the rest of the world just how awesome you are a platform to, for you to do your best work, and you want to use us—imperfect people. You specialize in using imperfect people and imperfect situations to change the world, and we're thankful for that today. In Jesus' name, Amen. A couple things before.